consider this question. Welcome to Consider This Question. The podcast you're about to hear was recorded on Thursday, September 29th, 2015. And it's a discussion between Jim Johnson and Drew Moss on the texts that the Bible has to offer related to homosexuality. We hope you find it informative and helpful. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Consider This Question. After a bit of a hiatus for the last couple weeks, we are back into um, our series on homosexuality. And uh, today it's actually just Jim Johnson and myself, Drew Moss. Um, We were kind of talking through this over the last uh, uh, week or two as we've been going through this series discussing homosexuality and kind of realized we hadn't actually stopped to to spend some time talking about what the Bible says about this, which seemed like a, a tad bit of an oversight uh, on our part. So, but we planned to do it. That's true. So it's we, not. It's not like we woke up yesterday. Do we from the beginning? Said, we from the beginning planned? Oh yeah. I okay. Think so. yeah. I think so. I think that was a meeting you were they, probably doing college ministry. Yeah. Yeah. So they they did not overlook it. Um, I myself perhaps did, but, um, so we, we, what we wanted to do today is, is actually kind of do something fairly simple and, and just walk through a number of the texts in the Bible that we believe pertain to this issue, um, that speak to this issue. And so primarily I'm just going to list off a few and, and let Jim kind of talk a little bit about those things. So without further ado, we'll just jump into it. Um, here is one that, that maybe a lot of people don't go to. Very often when they sure. talk through this, but sure. but uh, and here's probably why. Yeah, is they're looking at it from the word, right? Homosexuality, mm-hmm. or homosexual, or homosexual behavior. Checking a concordance. Checking a concordance, or, and yeah. so they're going to see that it's not mentioned very often. Yeah, and, and that's not the best way to look at how the Bible deals with particular subjects. But you're, that's how that's how a lot of people approach it. Yes, yes, and and what we want to do is not just and and I there may be a more technical term for this, but more than just a negative hermeneutic that says, yeah. does the Bible say something against it? We, we do want to ask that question. Prohibitive. Yeah. We also want to ask, does the Bible, what, what is the picture of marriage that the Bible lifts up? Yep. What is the picture of sexual relationships, romantic relationships that the Bible lifts up for us? Yep. And, and both of those things speak to this issue. And, you know, we'll give you one particular example where Jesus argues like this is they ask him a question about divorce and his original kind of his premise is, listen, I mean, Moses allowed that or God allowed that through Moses. Um, because of the hardening of your hearts, but that's not the way God designed it in the beginning. And so Jesus really gives us a way of looking at it in terms of how you're describing, which is this isn't what God intended, but God is now working with this. And so I think I think that's a good example for yeah. us to, yeah. to use. That's good. Well, with that, so here's where I would start is Genesis 2, 20 and 24, which is actually the text that Jesus goes back to in that passage you yep. just referenced, yep. Yep. Um, which is... Um, Adam has been given this task of naming all the animals that God has given him, and, and he goes through and it says, though, that there was no suitable helper found for him, no one to kind of match him and be that companion. And so God creates Eve um, from Adam, and this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And, and so to talk just a little bit about that, how that kind of speaks to this. Yeah, I think God uh, obviously has a design and an intention not just for... Um, uh, not, not just for us as, a, as a, an individual, but for us as a community. And so 
a lot of it is uh, how are we going to look at this? Are we going to look at this from a God des- God's design perspective, or am I looking this for what can I get from it? And really, when we come to the biblical text, it's so important for us to realize we're here to be informed. We're not here to argue. We're not really here, although there might be some questions or some doubts or some struggles that we have to work through. I think it really begins by saying, inform me, God, about what you believe. And I, I would even say this, a lot of the Christians that I know that are wrestling with the biblical evidence are already questioning the Adam and Eve account. They're yeah. already, yeah. They're, not, they're not really seeing it as uh, and an, an historical uh, depiction of how God actually made things, right? Yeah. And so I would I would say I mean I've not I've heard very few people actually describe that, but one of the reasons why we can dismiss Genesis one and two is because we really don't think it happened that way. Yeah. God really didn't do it that way. Yeah. So I mean I, I would say as we deal with the Bible, first question you have to ask is um, not not do you believe the Bible literally? Because uh, sometimes I believe the Bible literally, and sometimes I believe it figuratively. Yeah. Because that's what the Bible. How, how it's writing it. Yeah. Um, but here we definitely have in the Genesis 1-2 narrative that God is the author, that God is the designer, that God is the one that is doing this for a specific purpose. And so, therefore, he makes these uh, complementary pieces to this yeah. puzzle known as humanity, where there is male and female. And it is the bringing together of these, uh, well, I don't even want to use the word opposites, but definitely these different uh, yeah. expressions. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm always leery. I had a question actually last night uh, by somebody here at the church was asking me, um, do do I believe that therefore, since there is this uh, bringing together of male and female, and that's kind of what wholeness means, that's yes. God's design, then what do you do about the single Christian? And yes. what do you do? And I would even say, listen, again, Jesus in, in Matthew 19 gives uh, kind of a clear picture that this isn't the only way it happens. Therefore, I, I could have never married Andrea. Andrea could have never married me. Probably it would have been better for her yes. to remain single. Um, and, and my wife knows this. Like, Jim, you don't complete me. So yeah. in that sense, that's not what God is describing here. God isn't describing a completion apart from him. Yeah. But in terms of the the fullness of what he is doing, he brings together male and female. They become one flesh. Um, I even like how some uh, scholars really talk about that without uh, unity and diversity. So one flesh uh-huh. from the two. Without that unity in the context of diversity, it's hard for us to fully appreciate even the Trinitarian concept of God. <clears throat> which is that he is truly diverse and 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 uh, and one. Yes. And so you know, male, male, female, female, really doesn't reflect the Trinitarian concept. Now, here is that what the Bible is arguing? No, I don't think. No, if that's what the Bible is arguing, I just think that the Bible would say, yeah, that is true. Yeah. Um, and I think the other piece that we could definitely look at, which I think is overlooked, and you and I have had some real, uh, I mean, on my side, it's been almost a painful conversation that a lot of what God is doing in Genesis 1 and 2 is for the purpose of procreation. It yeah. is the purpose of fill the earth and subdue it. Therefore, go and increase and, and multiply. So Genesis one twenty eight, yeah, being yeah. kind of this big key passage for a lot of Scripture, actually. Yep, and, and although, that, although today we definitely have a different way of looking at that because we don't need... Uh, we, we don't need two people of opposite genders for us to procreate anymore. I mean, yeah. it's through surrogacy and other different even medical uh, advances that we have, uh, we're able to bypass a lot of that. And I, I wouldn't say that, therefore, that makes it okay. Um, I, I think that, obviously, going back and looking at the Genesis account, it's just not the way God designed it. And therefore, we're either creating problems that shouldn't be, or we need to kind of think through theologically how we are careful with this. But um, going back uh, to an article that you and I have referenced a number of different times before a Burgerfell by Alistair Roberts, I mean, 
he describes that one of the fundamental problems that we see in dealing with marriage and procreation is that we have made marriage, uh, apart from the Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 narrative, we've really made marriage about choice. We've made marriage about how can I fulfill my destiny. We've had uh, actually added children to the mix as a means through which Andrea and I find uh, an understanding of who we are. It's an experience that we both wanted. We wanted to be parents. And yeah. for more we, personal fulfillment and happiness. And, and if it's if it's not going to make you happy early, wait a few years. If it's going to make you happier to do it later or to only have two instead of four, wait just whatever works best for you. Yeah. Sex is for personal enjoyment. Yeah. Which, by the way, part obviously the way God designed us, yes, it is. But we have neglected so many other issues. And I've been convicted by this. I've convicted by um, how I walked through the marital process. And yeah. I just, I felt like I needed to have Andrea. Um, Andrea and I, as we walked through the how many kids are we going to have process, um, we were literally looking at kind of our financial and our schedule in terms of uh, me traveling a lot at the time and being very busy. So the, the questions that we, uh, or the answers that we came up with weren't developed from God's original design for us at all. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's, that's been convicting. And so I think the Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 narrative clearly describe male and female coming together for the purpose of reuniting what God uh, originally, uh, I won't say he separated, right? But he takes, he takes Eve from Adam's yes. side. And so it is through male-female coming back together that you have the reunion of this one flesh concept. And um, together they then procreate so that God may be um, um, not only enjoyed here on earth. I mean, this is what, do we have children for the glory of God or mm-hmm. not? And then what specifically does that mean? And God obviously enjoys being worshiped and being adored um, by uh, by his creation. And, and this is part of the whole process that we, uh, I think, is fundamentally flawed, not just within the um, the same sex or the, 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 the homosexual and uh, lesbian gay community, but even within large parts of the Christian community, um, we, we need to rethink what uh, Genesis 1 and 2 actually teaches regarding marriage and regarding family. Um, there's more here than, than, than just same-sex attraction, same-sex yeah. marriage. Yeah, but it is. It's a, so we look at Genesis 1 and 2 as kind of a picture for how God designed it. This plays out through the Bible. Almost any time marriage is addressed, I say almost many times, at least in the Bible, they go back to Genesis 1 yep. and 2. Yep. This is the as, way God meant it in the beginning. Yeah, as male and female, and be fruitful and multiply, and that kind of is, is huge. Okay, so to, to come to another one, and this is maybe one of the most popular level texts when it comes to homosexuality, and that is Genesis 19. Sure. The story of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, and God destroying these towns. Um, you have angels coming to visit Lot, and and the, the men of the town demanding that Lot send these what looked like two men yep. to send them outside, and so because angels can... in the Bible look like men, yes, I yeah. mean there's there's some similarity, so yeah, yeah, and so they demand lots send send these visitors out so that they can rape them that night. Well, actually, what's interesting is I'll, well, let me let me stick with the exact wording of the yeah. text so that they can know, know them. them, yeah. And so there's just even some poor uh, understanding of what that word means. I've heard, I've seen I've seen some just bad. Uh, theology discussed about going off the wording of that text. And the word there is no, and, and, and really lot misunderstood or, you know, that's just yeah, crazy. Yeah. The, 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 the real purpose was for them to engage in sexual intercourse with these men. Yeah. And so the word no is a word that means like intimately. And obviously from the encounter, the men don't say, hey, listen, no, you misunderstand us a lot. Don't send out your daughters that we can know them. Yeah. You know, so obviously it's sexual uh, in nature. And so we need to be careful with that. Not only is the Genesis 19 
um, narrative kind of describe this story, but you'll actually see in Judges 19 a very similar story about men gathering around and wanting to um, engage sexually yes. with a person. And um, so both of these uh, obviously are depicted with God's judgment. I guess um, I don't spend a lot of time here, to be honest with you, Drew, and I think for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, I don't think it addresses very well a lot of the questions that um, the current gay community is asking. Uh, they want to know uh, whether or not, and I, and I want to hear them on their terms sometimes. Yeah. I want to say, hey, I need you to think about this. But I want to. I want to be. Uh, I really do. I want to be genuine in terms of saying, okay, well, you ask some questions, and let's see how the Bible addresses it. And um, the majority of people, by far, far, far and away, that are wrestling with this issue, are not asking, um, is it is it okay if a bunch of men gather outside a person's sure. house and rape their visitors? So that's they 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 really do. We misunderstand that. Yeah. Now I would also say this though, is that even though the uh, the only other times in which kind of the only other times. This is a complicated issue. Um, the other times where in the Old Testament that uh, Sodom and Gomorrah are explicitly condemned, um, this issue of, of uh, same-sex uh, interaction is really not what is yeah. condemned. It's yeah. actually uh, their uh, their negligence and actually their exploitation of the poor. Yeah, Ezekiel so, 1649 yes. or whatever, yeah. yeah. And so that's kind of where they go to, and they say, listen, like uh, you, you misunderstand. Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because of this. It was destroyed because of this. And I would say, the, uh, in a nutshell, the, the sins that we see in Judges 19 and in and Genesis 19, both of those texts, um, really depict a society that has got very debased, that includes a mm-hmm. number of sins, which is good for us to realize that even when homosexuality is discussed, it's not discussed like in this small yes. frame, like this is the, these are the only sins that God really hates. These are the only sins that God really gets mad about, and actually... Uh, these are very. Uh, th- there's a lot of related uh, ideas that are mentioned that are uh, are wrong in God's eyes, or then moved all the way to an abomination in God's eyes. And so, I would say on both of these texts that clearly we see um, homosexual behavior as part of what is broken in that culture, in that society, in that city. Um, and there are lots of other things as yeah, well. That's going to be really big when we get to the New Testament. One of the things we discover is that. In every place where homosexuality is listed, it's listed alongside things like gossip, yeah, and disobeying your parents, greed, right? Yeah, yeah. and these things that these things that we let slide a lot, and yep. and so that'll that'll be really key. Um, probably the most explicit texts about it in the Old Testament. Uh, the first is Leviticus 18, which is is this chapter, which is kind of a, a long prohibition of different sexually immoral acts. Yep, and, and I want to I want to underline sexual. Yeah, because we're going to see here in a moment that Leviticus has a whole lot of other things to describe. Yes, as well. But the the where we see homosexuality described is in a list of sexually prohibitive acts. Yes, yes. So you're, I, I assume you're contrasting with say just like idolatry things or with whatever, but literally it's putting it in the context of sexual yep. things and yep. not. Yep, um, and, and not just other ceremonial yes. uh, improprieties or other ways in which God is trying to demonstrate that His people are going to stand out. Um, from the other nations, yeah, and so there's there's lots of things that are going to come up, obviously, in the book of Leviticus, um, and so it is good for us to realize that we're not saying, um, and actually, the church has never said we need to follow all the rules of Leviticus. That's not that's not what we're arguing. Yeah. We're not saying um, homosexuality is in Leviticus, and we follow all of Leviticus. Yeah, no, we 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 allow Leviticus in its entirety to instruct us about how God works with His people, particularly the Israelites, but we're not saying we follow all of the book. 
Yeah. Because we don't follow all of the books. Yeah, that's, why yeah. we don't, that's why we don't say that, actually. And for, for listeners who are kind of interested in, in learning why and how we discern which parts of Leviticus we listen to and which parts we don't still follow today, our, actually our last podcast addressed mm-hmm. that issue. How, how do we kind of handle this text specifically? But, but in Leviticus 18, it lists among these things, do not lie with a man as you would lie with a woman, says that is an abomination, yep. is the word. And then later in Leviticus 20, when it's listing kind of punishments for sin, um, homosexuality is listed in there again. Yes. And yes. so these are kind of the main, this is the most explicit yep. statement against it in yep. the Old Testament. And, and, and how, you know, I want to look at this in terms of how we should use it. And then also to prepare um, our church, particularly, that's, you know, that's what we're focusing on. You know, and I drew, we, we really want to help our people. Yes. And then if others get to be helped, we think that's exactly. awesome. But how do we help our people um, maybe even uh, address some of the questions that others will throw at this? And when you were in my hermeneutics class, I mean, I tried to prepare you in this way. So what do you do when someone says, hey, why don't we follow all the rules of Leviticus? Why don't we, um, why, why do we ignore the eating or the, the dietary rules? Why do we not follow the, the idea of mixed seed farming? And what about uh, clothes, clothing married, made out of two materials? Yeah. Um, and so first of all, you need to walk through and say, listen, um, when you look at the Bible, like in our last podcast, uh, we don't believe that we follow every law, that we're, we're going to recognize that there are times in the Bible that through the covenantal promises that God has made, that there are covenantal expectations. And because of those covenantal expectations, um, each covenant gets to be defined on its own terms. And so what we see is that, yes, there are parts of Leviticus that we do not continue to follow. True. The other part, though, is that when you look at kind of the context in which this is used um, in Leviticus, we, we clearly see that what God is doing is describing a sexual ethic uh, that is inappropriate for people who follow him. And then that teaching continues throughout the scriptures. So we see some discontinuity. Jesus, um, in Mark 7 particularly, declares all food clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same thing happens in the book of Acts with Peter on the rooftop. And so there are obviously parts of, of, uh, of Leviticus that Jesus and his, uh, his, his followers say, yeah, things have changed. And then there are other parts in which are maintained. And so the one question that you have to ask uh, regarding the Leviticus material is do you want to do away with all of the instructions of the book of Leviticus? And I would say no. And I would say, so clearly we're not saying that God is giving us um, kind of a cultural alternative. No, he's describing what is an abomination to him, and particularly in the sexual sins. And listed alongside of those are um, are everything from various degrees of incest mm-hmm. um, to bestiality to adultery um, to adultery. And so you've got a number of those. And so what I find what I find interesting is that um, for those people that want to discredit uh, homosexuality um, uh, or want to want to make, actually make homosexuality viable, they wanted to kind of discredit it from the text or discredit the text, I guess, and find freedom for themselves. My biggest concern is that then where where would you um, properly find the, the the kind of tool or the kind of knife to cut out certain ones because. Even within um, the, the the gay community, uh, they're not asking for no sexual ethic whatsoever. That's they, right. And especially in the Christian gay community, I mean, they're still uh, calling for monogamy. They're still calling for. Um, they're not. They're not. They're not saying adultery is a wonderful thing, yes. and we should. So the the question becomes is that when you look at that, I mean, you either jettison the entire Leviticus text or you begin to use it the way that that we would argue that you should use it is recognizing. Um, what it's saying to its Old Testament, and then seeing where in the New Testament we see Jesus and the writers continuing the same 
line of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, or I think you have to jettison it completely, in which case, what becomes the rule for how we understand things? Yeah. And so I think it's good to realize, yes, there's parts of Leviticus that we use. There's parts of Leviticus that are outdated. And I don't say that culturally. I say that covenantally. Yeah. So they are covenantally outdated because yeah, fulfilled God, by Jesus. They are fulfilled by Jesus, mm-hmm. and particularly the ceremonial ones that He takes care of on the cross. Mm-hmm. But issues like adultery still apply. Issues like incest still apply. Issues like homosexuality um, still apply to us. Very good. Um, so I want to move now into the New Testament, and you actually just referenced this passage at the beginning, Matthew nineteen. This is where some of the teachers of the law come to Jesus and they ask him about divorce. And is it lawful to, to divorce your wife? Um, Jesus says no. And they ask, well, then why did Moses allow him? And, yep. and you said it. Jesus says it's because of the hardness of your heart. But that's not how it was supposed to be in the beginning. Yeah. Because, and Jesus going to what marriage should be, because in the beginning God created them male and female. And so what God has joined together, let them not separate. Um, what gets really interesting with that is when his disciples hear this, that like you should not ever divorce. <laughs> yeah, they're astounded. Yeah, and, and they're like, man, like then like maybe it's not worth it to get married, right? If I can't just, like who should get married if you can't just, you know, divorce her whenever you don't like this anymore, you know? And, and Jesus' response is, is basically he goes into this talk on, on eunuchs yeah. and says that there are some who were born that way um, there were some who were made that way by man, and then there are some who choose to be eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. Yeah. And so Jesus basically holds up these two, two choices in Matthew 19 and says it's either married, married to a, uh, someone of the opposite sex and you stay married for life. Or, Which the church needs to do a better job. Yes. Not, here's my issue. It's not about regulating it. Um, number one, I've got to model it. Like Andrea and I have to model it. And if we don't take our marriage seriously, it's hard for me to, um, to help others. And then the second thing is, is to literally to plead and to beg. I mean, it's, it's kind of sad. I, I was uh, paying attention to something yesterday. I don't know where I saw it. Jamie Lee Curtis. Okay. As far as I know, not the ambassador for Christian ethics. Sure. Um, but when it was asked what, uh, what three words have helped her in her, the longevity of her marriage, you know what they were? Hmm. Do not divorce. Huh. And she said, that's the answer. Do not divorce. That's how you have a healthy marriage. Do not divorce. Do not leave. And I thought, wow, okay, she figured that one out. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, that, that's where it gets complicated, that how do we lift up um, even the, the biblical mandate for strengthening the marriage? And I think that even as a church, as we try to figure out, you know, how do we help deal with the, um, uh, all the questions that are coming through same-sex attraction, same-sex marriage debate? How do we do that in the context of what we already believe and are demonstrating in regards to marriage? Yes. And so that becomes critical. How do we help people um, consider divorce as the very, very, very last choice that is made to uh, somehow to kind of um, stem the brokenness that continues on? Yeah. Um, That's that's yeah. In the same in the same way that the Bible doesn't just speak against say homosexuality but lifts up what a yes. what the picture of marriage ought to be the church ought to be doing the same thing not yep. just speaking against some things but lifting up by our lifestyle and by our proclamation what it ought to be sure um so so Jesus lifts up or gives us these two options and he says either it is married to someone of the opposite sex for life and they says but not everyone will do that and that's okay if they don't this is, there's a other viable lifestyle but the only other alternative he gives is 
celibacy, basically, yep. what he calls a eunuch yep. for the kingdom, being single and yep. celibate. And he, he doesn't downgrade that. He seems to think that's great, but there's no other, well, you can just live with your girlfriend yep. or you can or you can be with someone of the same sex. He doesn't give any other option, but yeah. married for life, single and celibate. Yeah, And I think in part because uh, this is why I get a little concerned when, when, when people, I get it if, you've, if you don't know how to think through um, how the Bible speaks about things. I'll give you some space on that one. Um, but if you really, a lot of people, a lot of Christians should know better that the kind of statement like Jesus doesn't say anything about homosexuality really isn't very true um, because A, he does mention um, uh, sexual immorality. He does talk about how that is inappropriate. And within that category would be, uh, his audience would think of homosexuality yeah. as, as one of those things that are sexually immoral. Yeah. Um, Jesus never mentions incest specifically or bestiality specifically. And yet, obviously, when he's talking about sexual immorality, um, that would be considered under that umbrella. Yeah. And so it's, it's good for us to realize that Jesus doesn't have to address things. Um, he can actually uh, continue to develop uh, his conversation around what the people around him are already thinking. And that would go back to the Leviticus text. How yeah. would Peter or James or John or even the crowds have heard, have heard him? And that's why um, I like how you described it. When we look at the, uh, the available options that God has designed and that Jesus now endorses, it is male-female relationships, and then it is for the sake of the gospel, it is choosing to remain single. Um, Paul continues his thought in 1 Corinthians 7 where he describes this, uh, this uh, deepened focus on kingdom-type things because of this present crisis, and there's some debate yeah. about what that means. But definitely... Because of the circumstances, and I would even argue particularly our gospel and kingdom focus, um, that we may consider to remain single. But if not, then marriage is the is the alternative. Yeah, um, and go, also we got to do a better job lifting up a biblical picture of singleness in our community. Yes. I, don't, I don't think we do. I don't think we do that a lot of justice as well. Yes, hopefully we get to talk about that it's in weird. our next it, episode. So, it, and I got to say this too. I mean, I know we're on the time thing, but here's here's one other thing. It's interesting. Most people would consider single people. I mean, I've been in churches long enough, and when we're hiring people, for some reason we think married people have a deeper understanding. Huh. Oh, you know, if they're single, huh. it's almost like if they're single, they're distracted. Yeah, and if they're married, some... they're focused. Yeah. I, I just want to say, actually, the Bible says the exact, the exact opposite. opposite. <laughs> so, you know, um, so anyway, another podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned just now, actually, you kind of referenced um, Mark 6. Um, verses 14 through 23 is where Jesus talks about what defiles a person, what yep. comes out of them. And mm-hmm. he mentions sexual immorality, which we talked about this again in our last podcast, um, that his definition would have been shaped by Leviticus 18. And all yep. his listeners, when they hear him say sexual immorality, would have said, ah, yeah, Leviticus 18 and everything it mentions in yep. there is what yep. he's talking about. So yep. um, let me move to probably what I would consider the strongest text on this in the New Testament, and that is Romans 1. Uh, and and really the the wider context is 18 through 32, which is I, I want to say that because that does include, as we mentioned, all these other sins. Yeah, there's uh, a vice list at the end of that section. Yeah, yep. and it includes a lot of stuff in there that things that we sometimes give a pass. Um, but then specifically in verses 24 through 27, he talks about um, first of all that we exchange the worship of God for the the worship of um, the creature for the worship of the Creator for the creature, mm-hmm. and then he talks about how women exchanged natural relationships with men for those uh, with one another. And then men did the same thing. Rather yeah. than having um, passion for women, they had it for men. And 
and he condemns this, and, and basically chapter 1 is all about this is why the wrath of God is coming, because of these sins, because of ungodliness. Well, actually, has of, come. That is yeah, actually it, part of the wrath. Yes, is, part yeah. of the wrath is God giving people over to these unnatural, and that's you know this is, I think, one of the big issues today is that, um, and even I grow increasingly aware that when I say there are certain acts that we do um, sexually that are unnatural, People are, what? No. I, who, who determines, right? That's the, yeah. that's the debate. Who determines what is natural and unnatural? And then they love to go to the animal kingdom and to describe what is natural and unnatural. And But the text says that there is a natural way, going back to the, Paul's bias. We can disagree with Paul, mm-hmm. but Paul's bias is, is based from Genesis 1 and 2 and his culture as well. But his culture was actually informed by Genesis 1 and 2 and, and Leviticus 18 and 20. Um, and therefore he considers these to be unnatural acts. And I think Paul is describing them. Um, uh, he's, I don't think he's trying to go after it. He's just trying to show the level. This is actually what's going on in a lot of these texts. I want to show you the level of brokenness that actually exists in our culture, uh, the, the level of um, uh, kind of the glorification of the self. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that's one thing that goes along with this. And, and by the way, this happens in many forms. So I'm not trying to uh, focus on the uh, the gay and lesbian community and saying, look how obsessed they are with themselves. No, actually, I mean, we could all stand back and say, listen, what we are called to do in terms of self-denial and take up our cross and follow us, I mean, it, it exists in all breaks of yes. life. But in this one as well, I mean, let's just be honest, Paul is confronting this obsession that people have to go in the face of what they know about God and to worship instead of the creator, created things, and it get this is what Paul is saying in Romans 1, and it gets to this point, and for this reason, God has now given them over to these things, and then at the end of that uh, Romans 1 text, he lists a number of other sins. Now, here's one thing that I love to bring up, is that um, not only, I mean, this, this, this cuts both ways. We, you and I, need to make sure that we don't single out homosexuality and gay and lesbian activity um, as what God cares about only. Or even most. Yeah. Um, But what's also interesting is is that for those people that want to get rid of it, I'm I'm often curious, again, within the Christian community, so could we get rid of the rest of that vice list? Although you and I need to preach the rest of that vice list, wouldn't it actually seem that it would be appropriate for us as Christians to say, you know, greed is a cultural issue, and we can go along and we can lift up greed or other other sins as well. Disobedience to parents. Disobedience to parents. I mean, that's a cultural issue. And we should be disobedience to parents. I mean, that's, you know, so uh, t- to me, it really does cut both ways. Um, but one of the things that you just can't escape from Romans 1, and I know you have a couple other texts, but in Romans 1 is that God is, or that uh, Paul believes that this kind of behavior, female-female, male-male relationships, um, and, and again, I don't, I don't believe Paul, um, Paul may be aware of monogamous relationships. He may not be aware. I mean, I, I've seen arguments on both sides. I don't know if that's what Paul is arguing. He is just listing this kind of behavior as unnatural and outside of God's will because of their rebellion against God and their fascination with themselves. Yeah. That's what Romans 1 is teaching. Yeah. Um, let me do two more real quick. There's uh, Well, I think we can actually pull them together because yeah, they're yeah, very yeah. similar. Yeah, which is 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, and then 1 Timothy one verse eight specifically talks about this, and, and both of these, just like Romans one, homosexuality is mentioned as a part of a vice list. A yep. greater these are these are a number of sins that show that people are ungodly and sinful when they practice these things. Yeah. Um, now the one thing that gets interesting about First Corinthians six 
is that it, it does actually mention these two terms for the active and the passive partner in homosexuality. Yeah. yeah. So when, when a number of people want to look and say, well, what Paul is condemning <laughs> is rape or what he's, con- he's condemning pederasty, a, a, an, an older male using a younger male slave or something like that for pleasure. Yeah. Um, but Paul says, no, both the active and the passive are condemned, which means he doesn't see one as an innocent victim and one as he's, he seems to be talking about um, mutual relationship there. He seems yep. to be talking about consensual acts yep. that he's committed. Yeah, and I would even argue he sees both as wrong. Like yeah. he, he would, yeah, he yeah, would yeah. see, you know, going back to the Genesis 19, I'm against violence. I'm against um, forcing myself upon people or people being forced upon or forcing themselves on other people. And I'm against, you know, and I think Paul sees both of yeah. those. Yeah. yeah. So both, both of these, like you said, are, are very similar. Yeah. They're both kind of in a list, but any other thoughts on those? No, I mean, I, honestly, I, th- I like how you even describe the uh, kind of the specifics of it. Even one of the words that Paul uses in that text, he kind of puts together these two words, male and bed, um, and is kind of describing uh, this this homosexuality. I, I've heard a lot of times. I think it was 1857 was the first time that the word homosexual actually entered into the word entered into the English vocabulary. Mm. And so a lot, I hear a lot of people say, "Listen, this even this word is kind of a new word." Yes, and therefore we've got a new thing. I mean, this is different than. Um, temple prostitution that we see in the Old Testament. It's different than these things. Okay. I mean, I, I guarantee you, I, 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 just, I, I believe that this emphasis that we have, particularly within the Christian community of monogamous, like, hey, let's try to clean this up as much as we can. Uh, we're not trying to advocate uh, kind of a willful abandon, but what's wrong with two males or two females who genuinely love and care and are nurturing one another? What's broken with that, right? So they're, mm-hmm. they're wanting to, to disconnect it from a lot of the accusations that Paul is making. And I would say that that still doesn't make it safe. That still doesn't make it like um, agreeable in the mind and the heart of Paul, Jesus, and God. Um, and you would also, I would also say this. It's interesting that um, the material that we see in, in, the, in, the, in Corinthians particularly, Corinthians 6, you mentioned that. Yes. Corinthians 5 is what? Is that? No, for early 1 Corinthians 6 is lawsuits against believers. Yeah, early 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 5 is the expel the immoral brother. Yes. So you actually. For sexually immoral for, act. for sexually immoral yeah. act. And so I, I love to say, you know, and then, and then 1 Corinthians 7 talks about marriage and it's talking about, hey, and, and, and singleness and this is how you need to deal. I mean, so you're dealing, Paul, Paul sees all of these things linked together and he's saying, listen, this gentleman here is involved in a sexual kind of behavior that is inappropriate. And you guys are celebrating it as this is a wonderful thing. And I'm telling you, you need to expel the more immoral brother from your um, um, fellowship. From, from your fellowship. Your church. And, and what this guy did was marry his father's um, wife. Yeah, so his stepmom. His stepmom. Yeah. And, and Paul says, like, that can't happen in a church. And so it's interesting that, um, you know, as we look at this, Paul is calling for an alternative. And when I say alternative, I don't mean um, he is deciding it, but it's definitely alternative in terms of the culture. And he is going back to what the Bible teaches, back to God's design, back to what uh, the nation of Israel would have seen. And these are the ways in which we live. And that is why we need a consistent sexual ethic that recognizes how God made us, what he made us for as male and female, and then how we flourish in that um, by being faithful and obedient to his design. So I, I'm not afraid of, uh, of homosexuals. I've got a number of people in my life who either struggle or are involved in same-sex activity. Um, I genuinely love them, and I care for them, and I love them enough to speak the truth about what the Bible says um, so, that they can, um, so that they can at least, A, be aware, 
And then B, um, find hope and peace through what Jesus Christ has done. Um, the Apostle Paul also in, in, in one of these texts describes, and this is what you were. Yeah. So he doesn't describe it. Hey, this is what you decided to change because you had a new understanding of your sexual identity and orientation. No, he says, these are sins and you gave these up and this is the change that took place. And so um, even it's good for us to, to celebrate that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness that we actually have, um, there's wonderful Christian examples of this, um, that there is this transformative fact um, that, that takes place in the life of people who trust in Jesus. Very good. Um, we hope that this has been helpful for you. I, I would encourage you to uh, maybe as you kind of go back and listen through this to not just kind of take our word for it and our paraphrase, but actually go look these texts up and read through them. Um, we, we always want our standard, our, our marker for where we're going from this to be the text, to be the scriptures itself. Some, uh, Sam Elberry wrote a book uh, called Is God Anti-Gay? It's a real small read. Um, we'd love, we have a bunch, number of copies here at the church. We'd love to help you connect with that. The other one is, I think Kevin DeYoung in his book, What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality? does a really good job walking through each of these texts. Um, they're not long. They're not, uh, they're not complicated. Um, they're definitely not scholarly, but they are helpful. Yeah, very good.